Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Don't you wish you were Arthur? Would the more attractive of you please step forward? <laughs> it's gonna cost you a hundred dollars. Let's make it two hundred dollars. But I will ask you to simonize my car. <laughs> How rich are you? I wish I had a dime for every dime I have. <laughs> Anticipating your condition, and I brought you orange juice, coffee, and aspirins, or do you need to throw up? Kiss your wife like that? I'm not married. Keep smiling. Six, eight, eight. Usually one must go to a bowling alley to meet a woman of your stature. I take it this bum will be calling you. Dad, he's a millionaire. You have my permission to marry him. (laughs) Are you a hooker? I forgot. I just thought I was doing great with you. Will you take my hand? That would leave you with one. (laughs) I'm going to take my coat. You don't have a coat. Well, I'm going to take my time. <laughs> You're a rich one. How does it feel to have all that money? It feels great. <laughs> the dumb question. What's so funny now? I sometimes just think funny things. What do you do for a living? I race cars, I play tennis, I fondle women, but I have weekends off and I am my own boss. <laughs> Dudley Moore is Arthur. Don't you wish you were me? I know I do. Don't you wish you were Arthur? Arthur, the most fun money can buy. An Orion Pictures release through Warner Brothers. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Arthur from 1981. The studio was Orion Pictures, but it was distributed by Warner Brothers. Paramount was the original studio, but dropped the project. Didn't work out well for them. The release date was July 17, 1981, with a running time of 97 minutes. The rating was PG, the budget was $7 million, and the box office was a smash, taking in $95.4 million, making it the fourth-ranked movie overall of 1981. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 88% fresh from 34 reviews. Their consensus is Dudley Moore brings a boozy charm to Arthur. A coming-of-age tale for a wayward millionaire that deploys an energetic cast chemistry and spiffy humor to jovial effect. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars. Here's his review. Only someone with a heart of stone could fail to love a drunk like Arthur Bach, who spends his wasted days in a poignant search for someone who will love him, will care for him, will inflame his passions, and soothe his pain, and who, most of all, will laugh at his one-liners. Arthur is such a servant of humanity that he even dedicates himself to thinking up new one-liners and holding them in reserve, lest he be unprepared if someone walks into his life and needs a quick laugh. Arthur, played by Dudley Moore, is the alcoholic hero of Arthur, a comedy about a man who is worth $750 million and who would never think of trying to buy anyone's love with his money. Arthur is like the woman in the poem by Yeats, who spent her days in innocent goodwill 
and her nights in argument till her voice grew shrill. Arthur, God love him, is a drunk. He slips into his bath in the morning and his butler brings him a martini. After he completes his bath, Arthur sets about the day's business, which consists of staying drunk and being driven about Manhattan in a limousine in his endless quest for love. Now, the problems with searching for love when you are drunk are many. They include A, no one will want to love you while you are drunk. B, you are not at your best while you are drunk, so they won't know what they're missing. C, you may be too drunk to notice if someone does finally fall in love with you. And D, if you survive all of these pitfalls, you will never less wake up hungover. And scientific studies prove that hangovers dissolve love. Dudley Moore became a star, of course, with 10, playing a man who became obsessed with Bo Derek. And who could blame him? In Arthur, he makes his bid for world-class status as a comic character actor. He brings a wonderful intensity to the scenes like one near the beginning of the film where he has invited a hooker to dinner at the plaza and then forgotten who she is and what she is or why he is with her. It is marvelous to see him try to focus his attention, which he seems to believe is all concentrated in his eyebrow muscles. Apart from more, the treasure of Arthur is in its many supporting performances, especially John Gilgood, although everyone in this movie has great moments. You might be tempted to think that Arthur would be a bore, because it's about a drunk who is always trying to tell you stories. You would be right if Arthur were a party and you were attending it, but Arthur is a movie. And so it's drunk, unlike real drunks, is more entertaining, more witty, more human, and more poignant than you are. He embodies, in fact, all the wonderful human qualities that drunks fondly, mistakenly believe that booze brings out in them. And that's the end of Ebert's review. So I vaguely remember seeing Arthur as a video rental as a kid, and actually not finding it that funny. Now, this is partly because I figured Arthur would be something similar to the movie 10. And for 10, I was too mesmerized, and frankly still am, by Bo Derek to really consider a different type of film afterwards with Dudley Moore. However, with maturity and age and reputed viewings, Arthur really became funnier and funnier to me, especially the character of Hobson, which is played brilliantly by John Gilgood. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Of course, Dudley Moore plays Arthur Bach. Now, Moore's career began in the 1960s in the UK as part of the burgeoning scene of comedic and satiric actors. He had a partnership with fellow comedic actor Peter Cook, and the two formed a comedy duo. They first appeared in the 1966 film The Wrong Box, but it was the next year for the film Bedazzled where they really got noticed. And that film is now remembered in the United States as an early film for Raquel Welch, who has a very memorable role. Now, it wasn't until the late 70s where Moore hit it big in Hollywood with the movie Foul Play with Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn, and then the aforementioned 10 with Julie Andrews and Bo Derek. Liza Minnelli plays Linda Marola. Of course, Minnelli came from a show business background with her mother being Judy Garland and her father, director Vincent Minnelli. Like her mother, Liza was a triple threat in that she could sing, dance, and act. She started on stage in the 1960s, acting and singing and releasing popular albums, very similar to Barbara Streisand in many ways. The film where Liza really got her break was in 1969's The Sterile Cuckoo, and she received an Oscar nomination for Best Actress. She lost to Maggie Smith for the movie The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. However, Liza's best-known role came in 1972 with Cabaret, playing Sally Bowles, and this time Liza did win Best Actress. 
After her success with Cabaret, Liza had a bit of a dry spell film-wise. She appeared in various films that did not do well and, frankly, are not very memorable to casual film fans. Arguably, her film comeback was Arthur. John Gilgood plays Hobson. While many younger film fans, including myself, will remember Gilgood and Arthur, his career began many, many years prior in the theater, dating back to the 1920s. He became one of the most famous British stage performers with Laurence Olivier and Ralph Richardson. His career is far too storied and deep to get into it briefly for this episode, but I will say if you're interested, definitely read up on his career because he had quite the public and private life. The director, Steve Gordon. Now, Gordon was mostly known as a screenwriter for television, writing for shows like Chico and the Man and Barney Miller. He did write the screenplay for Arthur, along with directing it, and sadly, it would be the only film Gordon directed, because he tragically died of a heart attack in 1982 at the age of 44. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with one of the best movie themes in film history, which is Arthur's theme by Christopher Cross, the Yacht Rock extraordinaire. It also won an Oscar for Best Original Song, and if you didn't know, it was co-written by Burt Bacharach and Carol Bayer Sager and Peter Allen. Allen was Liza Minnelli's ex-husband, if you didn't know that. Once in your life, you find her Someone who turns your heart around And next thing you know, you're closing down the town Wake up and it's still with you Even though you left your way across town Wondering to yourself So while the credits and the theme play, we see the eccentric Arthur Bach, played by Dudley Moore, being chauffeured in a Rolls Royce. His family comes from money and Arthur hasn't had to work a day in his life. He basically drinks all day, every day. One of Arthur's trademarks is his hysterical laugh, which happens often because he laughs at all of his own drunken jokes. We see this right off the bat when he picks up a lady of the night in downtown New York City. Would the more attractive of you please step forward? <laughs> God, that's funny. <laughs> no, actually, actually, you're both very attractive. Would, would the one that thinks I'm attractive please step forward? Quick as possible, time is money. What you have in mind? Uh, VD. I'm really into penicillin. <laughs> no, that's funny. <laughs> actually, what I had in mind was was spending the evening with a, a stranger who loves me. It's gonna cost you a hundred dollars. Oh yeah? What time did you get off work? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's make it two hundred dollars. But I will ask you to simonize my car. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, has there been a death in your family 
This is funny stuff here. Mm. Let's go. <laughs> Billyman, give her, give her friend a hundred dollars. She came in second. <laughs> who is that guy? I'd rather not say. I think I know who it is. I saw his picture in the paper. That's out the box, isn't it? Oh, what if it is? Is there something wrong with him? So Arthur takes his date, Gloria, which is played by Anne DeSalvo, to dinner. He falls out of the car and then eventually goes back to his mansion where he has a toy train above his bed. Oh, for that one, goddamn God! <laughs> Is that the funniest thing ever? <laughs> you heard, sir. Oh, Uncle Peter and Aunt Pearl. Arthur, mm. you're looking well. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> Aunt Pearl, may I say, you're looking young every day. Doesn't Aunt Pearl look wonderful, darling? She looks great. <laughs> Arthur, I don't think we've had the pleasure of meeting this young woman. Would you introduce us? That's stupid of me. Uh, Princess Gloria, may I introduce my aunt and uncle, Peter and Pearl Bar? How are you? Princess, did you say Princess Arthur? Yes, yes. There's a very small country in the West Indies. I mean, small. <laughs> I see, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's terribly small. Tiny little country. Rhode Island could beat the crap out of it in a war. That's how small it is. Small? Very mm. <coughs> little. It's 85 cents in a cab from one end of the country to the other. I'm talking small. Here. We understand it's small, <laughs> Arthur. They recently had the whole country carpeted. This it's not a big place. We understand that it's small, Arthur, and we also understand that you are very drunk. So why don't we meet again when you're sober? Yeah, all right, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help it. Grow up, Arthur. You'd make a fine adult. Yeah, it's easy for you to say. You haven't got 50 pairs of short pants hanging in your closet. <laughs> Sleep well? 
fine. Good. Please stop that. Hobson, how good to see you. Thank you so much. Not at all. I've taken the liberty of anticipating your condition, and I've brought you orange juice, coffee, and aspirins. Or do you need to throw up? I'm dead. No, no. Gloria, I'd like you to meet Hobson. My best friend in the world. I relish the compliment. It's thrilling to meet you, Gloria. Hi. Yes. You obviously have a wonderful economy with words, Gloria. I look forward to your next syllable with great eagerness. Yes. As we can all see, it's a lovely day, which would seem to indicate that the night is over. Gloria, I have arranged breakfast for you on the east patio. This is a robe. Please put it on. Say goodbye to her, Arthur. Hobson? Yes? Do you know what I'm going to do? No, I don't. I'm going to take a bath. I'll alert the media. <clears throat> do you want to run my bath for me? It's what I live for. Perhaps you'd like me to come in there and wash your dick for you, you little shit. <laughs> John Gilgood is Hobson, Arthur's valet, and really his only friend. He's absolutely hilarious, and he really was deserving of winning a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role. Next, Arthur has a visit from his father, Stanford, who is pushing him to marry a woman named Susan, played by Jill Eikenberry. Susan is the daughter of a very wealthy businessman, and also a friend of Stanford. Now, if Arthur doesn't marry Susan, he won't get his sizable inheritance from his father. Of course you hate it. People work here. Here, read this magazine. There are many pictures. Why can't nobody ever smiles here? Why doesn't anybody ever smile here? They smile at lunchtime. Lower your voice, Arthur, and sit up. Stop being so nervous. Later on, we'll get ice cream. He gets all that money. Pays his family back by, by, by being a stinking drunk. It's enough to make you sick. I really wouldn't know, sir. I'm just a servant. Yeah. On the other hand, go screw yourself. The press has a good time with you, Arthur. Millionaire drunk playboy. Mm -hmm. You're the weakest man I've ever known. I despise your weakness. 
Arthur, I'm afraid we have to talk. I'm not going to marry her. I've told you that a thousand times. Fine. If that's your decision, Arthur, the family has no choice. I'm sorry, Arthur, very sorry. But as of this moment, you are cut off. You mean cut off from you and grandmother and the family? So you mean cut off from the... The, um... You don't, you don't mean cut off from the... The money, Arthur. Your grandmother and I have had all the papers drawn up. We want this marriage, Arthur. I want it. Bert Johnson wants it. Bert Johnson? He's a criminal. We all are, Arthur. And as you know, we usually get what we want. Well, frankly, Father, I'd rather starve. And I will. I get married when I fall in love with somebody. Fine. I respect your integrity. You've just lost $750 million. Actually, Susan is a very nice girl. Very nice. And she'll make a wonderful wife. Yes, wonderful. Have you ever seen her face when... when the light catches it just right? She's really quite beautiful. Of course, you can't depend on that light. The wedding is a month from today. The invitations will be mailed tonight. And have you ever tasted her chicken? She does spectacular things with a chicken. And I love a chicken made at home. Arthur, this is the ring your grandfather gave to your grandmother. She wants you to give it to Susan. This is to marry one girl. Please don't do this to me, Father. Arthur, I've been waiting for you to grow up. I can't wait any longer. Congratulations, Father. You win. I had every intention of winning. Congratulations to you, Arthur. You're going to be a wealthy man for the rest of your life. That's all I've ever wanted to be. By the way, you may have noticed that Arthur's father isn't British, nor has a British accent. So originally, Steve Gordon wanted the character to be American, and then wanted Dudley Moore to speak in an American accent. However, Moore struggled with this, and Gordon finally relented. So, here was the way around it. What they did was they made the character of Hobson, who was British, and he taught Arthur how to speak. And since Hobson was arguably more of a father figure than his biological father... This almost makes sense. Next, Arthur goes shopping with Hobson and meets a woman in an unusual way. Actually, for Arthur, it's rather normal. I'll take three dozen of these shirts, um, assorted colors. I hate my father. Then purchase four dozen. Four dozen, please. And um, I want 14 of these sweaters, all green. All green? I don't wear sweaters. Send them to my address, please. What else can I buy, Hobson? Hobson, do you see that? Yes. She stole that tie. It's a perfect crime. Girls don't wear ties. Although some do, it's not a perfect crime, but it's a good crime. Yes, if she murdered the ties, it'd be a perfect crime. Why are you so happy about all this? And following her as a security guard. You've got to be calm. She's beautiful. She's 
Jesus. May I ask, what have we to do with this? to look in the bag. I saw you put something in it. You got trouble, mister. Never gonna work on the East Coast again. Okay, what's your name? Name! Sensational. She does have a certain Eleanor Roosevelt quality. Chester, what's your address? Uh, miss... Give me the address, Chester! I want the address! I'm not pulling over here! I saw you put a tie in that bag! What did you say? What's going on? All right, that's it. That's it. I want a cop! Somebody get me a cop! Me a cop! Don't you move from where you're standing, Chester. I don't want to see you move out of my sight. Get me a cop! Get your hands off me! Uh, Chester, I'm out of Bach. I'll straighten this out. Hello, Mr. Bach. Uh, you really should stay out of this. Yeah, well, he's in it, Chester. Tell him, Alfred. I know this young woman. In fact, we were shopping together. Right. Where the hell have you been? I'm sorry, darling. I, I got caught you up. she's the friend of yours, Mr. Bach? You just said that, Chester. You're such a schmuck, Chester. I asked her to pick out a tie for me, and I was going to put it on my brother's shirt counter. And you didn't pay for I know, it? I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, Ch Chester, what can I say? I had no idea. Uh, may I look at the tie? Of course. Oh, God, that's... that's... Hope you like lovely. it. Lovely. You're really wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Front of all these people, dear. <laughs> they might think you're an animal. Mr. Bach, you understand it's my job. Would you ask the lady at the show counter to put this on my bill? Oh, uh, of course. I'll take care of it, Mr. Bach. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Are you scared? Yes. Why are you smiling at me like that? I see. You're a little strange, but cute. How are you? Well, have a nice day. Thank you very much. I'm going to go to the bus stop now. The woman is named Linda, played by Liza Minnelli. And you might remember the security guard, played by Irving Metzman, as the doorman in the first Crocodile Dundee movie. Linda thinks Arthur is nuts, of course, but once she finds out that he's single, well, she's willing to go on a date with him at least once. Yes, it's been a distinct pleasure meeting you. Arthur, we really must be going. Thank you for a memorable afternoon. Usually one must go to a bowling alley to meet a woman of your stature. Yes. Arthur, I see no reason for prolonging this conversation unless you're planning to knock over a fruit stand later in the evening. Good luck in prison. <laughs> Hobson is the best. So Linda stole the tie for her father because it's his birthday. Arthur has his chauffeur Bitterman, played by Ted Ross, drive home Linda. 
Linda's father, Ralph, played by Barney Martin, hears about the guy his daughter met and thinks he's just another bum until she says he's a millionaire. Ralph then gives his permission to marry him. (laughs) At one point during the production, Liza Minnelli was supposed to board a bus in front of Bergdorf's on Fifth Avenue. This is the store where she shoplifted the tie. When a real bus came along, she boarded it thinking it was, you know, the movie bus. Not until halfway down the block did she realize her blunder, and when she looked back, she saw the whole film crew cracking up. So back to the movie, Arthur is completely smitten with Linda and sends almost an entire flower shop to her. They go on their first date, and we find out that Linda is an aspiring actress, but currently a waitress trying to support herself and her father. Their date is dinner, and then an arcade. The next day, Arthur visits his grandmother, Martha, played by Geraldine Fitzgerald. Martha is an absolute trip. She's a frail-looking older woman, but man, she's a firecracker. Arthur tells her he doesn't want to marry Susan and is very much interested in Linda. Martha says either he marries Susan or he gets cut off financially. And then she says, well, marry Susan and then cheat with the Queen's girl, which is Linda. (laughs) We then cut to Linda's apartment, whose father doesn't take a phone call from Arthur very well. How are you? I got off work early. Listen, uh, do you like lasagna? Yeah. Oh, thank God. Um, Linda, uh, I know this is last minute, but something came up. I can't make it tonight. I'm sorry. Fine, no problem. What? Linda. Listen, the truth is I, I'm getting engaged tonight. The easiest thing in the world would be to lie to you, but I like you and I... I... Look, no sweat. Linda. We had some laughs. I wanted to tell you the other night, but I, I just... Don't worry about it. I'm really... I have to go, okay? Bye. No! Would you like a beer? I'll get you a beer, okay? I'll be all right, sweetheart. I, I, I just have to be alone for a minute. Oh, God, I can't bear it. Oh. Come in. Shall I get the car, Mr. Bach? No, thanks, Peter. Tonight I'll drive myself. How often does a young man get engaged? Where's Mr. Hobson? Uh, Mr. Hobson was tired, sir. He's resting. He's been tired quite a bit lately, Bitterman. Oh, I'm sure he's fine, sir. <laughs> Will you cut it out? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't mean to tell you, but I've got this tumor in my head. Did the lights go off? <sighs> Hobson, just talk to me, okay? Over the tumor in my head. Listen, Arthur. There are three books. This is important. Mm-hmm. Take them back to the library. <laughs> Oh, God, Hobson, please. Don't die anymore. It's getting very boring. I told you I only got a cold. Now go and get engaged. I just told Linda I was getting engaged. I don't know why. A little tart like that could save you a fortune in prostitutes. Listen, old man. Don't ever talk about her that way again. 
She's the best person I know. God damn it, why are you such a snob? Hobson, I raised my voice to you. I, I've never done that before. That's quite all right. You know, you may be growing up. And I'm sorry for what I said about Linda. No. Do you want anything? I want to be younger. Sorry. It's your job to be older. Again, Hobson always seals the show, and the rapport between the two is just infectious. Interestingly enough, when Arthur is around Linda, he's completely sober. But once he has to get engaged to Susan, well, then he gets plastered again. He first meets with Susan's father, Bert, played by Stephen Elliott, for this priceless scene with a stuffed moose. Hello, Arthur. Hello, Mr. Johnson. I haven't seen much of you lately. Ah. Well, the reason you haven't seen much of me is because I I normally pick Susan up at her apartment in town, and you live here. Want want a drink? I never drink. Ah. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great. You've probably never run out of ice your whole life. (laughs) I don't drink because drinking affects your decision-making. You may be right. I can't decide. It's just a little humor. <clears throat> Where's the rest of this moose? Arthur, I think it's time we got to know one another. I do too. That's why I had you come over today. <laughs> this is a tough room. I don't have to tell you that. You must have hated this moose. Why don't you forget the moose for a moment? Right. <laughs> So reportedly, when Dudley Moore was doing the Mansion Moosehead sequence, a lighting technician laughed so much that he fell off his ladder. Back to the movie, Bert basically tells Arthur that if he doesn't make Susan happy, well, he'll kill him. That night, Arthur goes to dinner with Susan and cracks drunken jokes until he finally gets the nerve to propose to her. She immediately accepts, much to his chagrin. After dinner, Arthur drives, yes, drunk, to Linda's house, and it doesn't go well. Linda? Linda? I hope it's not late. Who am I talking to? Oh, it's me, it's me. Linda? What do you want? Oh, shit! Oh, I'm very sorry to disturb you, madam. I was looking for Linda. I hope this is the wrong house. No offense. My husband has a gun! I'm sure he has, madam. For all I know, you shot it while you scream. Oh, 
He must be Linda's father. Yeah, it's kind of late. Although I wasn't sleeping myself, Arthur. Oh, nice to meet you, Arthur. Yeah, hi, hi. Hi, Linda. Can I come in? Don't you hate Perry's wife? Wait a minute. Linda, I've missed you. Oh. Sorry, Linda, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. Mm -hmm. Lily. It happens. What the hell is the matter with you? Nobody knocks on a door at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're so drunk you can hardly stand up. And you're engaged! I'm going to sleep. You come here at three o'clock in the morning to say goodbye? I have to get up and go to work in the morning. Stop kidding around. Will you stop kissing me? I'm sure you're not going to want to be a waitress for the rest of your life. I am studying to be an actress. You're telling me. Well, I am. I know, I know. This is for you, your father, and your acting career. Now, please take it and I'll go. Uh-huh. A hundred thousand dollars. We don't need your money. Oh, yeah. I think that'll help you. Yeah, look what it's done for you. Now tell your story walking before I call a cop. Get out of here! Faucet. Oh, no. So you can't tell because it's an audio clip, but Linda's father almost dropped after hearing his daughter turn down $100,000. The next day, Arthur goes to the racetrack. Well, to drive. Want to take it for a spin, Hobson? No, thank you, Arthur. Well, Mr. Buck, be sure you call me anytime you need the track, huh? Okay. Take it easy. Thank you. Hobson, do you know how miserable I am? You're miserable. I've got all this and I'm on a salary. Ah, do you know the worst part? The worst part of being me? I should imagine your breath. <laughs> 
Let me be unhappy, will you? You know, Hobson, I... I... I could love somebody. I never got to love anybody. What do I have to live for? I mean, I'm a failure at everything I do. I'm just in everyone's way. Would you remove your helmet, please? Why? Please. Thank you. Now your goggles. Why? Please. Thank you. You spoiled little bastard. You're a man who has everything, haven't you? But that's not enough. You feel unloved, Arthur. Welcome to the world. Everyone is unloved. Now stop feeling sorry for yourself, and incidentally, I love you. Mary, Susan, and Arthur. Poor drunks do not find love, Arthur. Poor drunks have very few teeth. They urinate outdoors. They freeze to death in summer. I can't bear to think of you that way. I need Linda, Hobson. I see. Well, perhaps fate will lend a hand, Arthur. One never knows. Hobson, seeing how truly heartbroken Arthur is that Linda won't be with him, decides to help his friend. May I come in? If you and your undershirt would walk two paces backwards, I could enter this dwelling. How are you? How's Arthur? You know, ever since I met that Arthur, I just like them. You know, uh, we have to make sure that these two wonderful kids stay together. Who is this person? He's my father. Yes. And I'd like to say that... Try not to speak. Would you get me a cup of tea? I wish to speak to Linda. Oh, sure. <laughs> Young woman, this is a tie you cannot steal. This is a tie I'm afraid you're going to have to work for. Are you inviting me to Arthur's engagement party? This is not an invitation. However, if there is one thing that old gentlemen can still do, they can still spot young gentlemen in love. Please go to the party. No, Arthur is far too fine a person to be involved in something as devious as this. You really look out for him, don't you? Yes. And it is a job that I recommend highly. What is it? If I were to tell you, it would spoil the surprise, wouldn't it? Don't open it. And your tea. I despise tea. Now, would you go to the bathroom and bring me two aspirin? You'll find them on the top shelf to the left, behind the untouched shaving cream. Oh, what about your aspirins? The aspirins are for you, my dear. Hobson's gift is a dress for Linda to wear to Arthur's engagement party. She attends to the surprise and delight of Arthur. The two enjoy each other's company briefly before Arthur is called away. Hobson's is now in the hospital. Okay, let's open the presents. I'm sorry, Arthur. For what? For leaving you. You're not leaving anyone. Why, it's a basketball. Yeah, well, what the hell? I knew you didn't have one. Yes. If I feel the urge to dribble, I can always call the nurse. I'll put this over here. You purchased a choo-choo? Look, the wheels go round. 
Very pleased. Do you remember? Do you remember when you used to play hide-and-seek with me? I used to hide and you never found me. Did you know I never looked? Come on. Well, I looked a little. Hmm. One for you, one for me. Put it on. I don't wish to put it on. I'll put it on. If I begin to die, please take this off my head. This is not the way I wish to be remembered. Aren't they great? Got guns and holsters too. Look. Yes. Just in town for supplies, partner. Arthur, I'm frightened. I know you're frightened. And I'm going to take care of you. slept in a week. Uh, we had a bad night. He was up. I got the uh, kippers and eggs. Great. I'd get fired. Uh, no, you won't. <sighs> Listen, um, for lunch, um, I want the trout almondine from Lutez. Tell Henri it's for me. He shouldn't be eating this stuff. I don't want his last meal to be jello. Thanks very much. I'll see you later. Arthur sets up the hospital room to look like Hobson's quarters at the mansion. Arthur takes care of Hobson like it's his own father. And sadly, Hobson dies a few weeks later. But before he died, he tells Arthur he can be happy and do what he wants, meaning he can be with Linda if that's who he wants to spend his life with. But after Hobson's death, Arthur goes back to drinking, this time at a local dive bar. You take your average kid today, he don't want to go in the army. Yeah, what does he care, though? But the communists, they go in the army. If only we had some communists here. No. No. No, no. While our kids are dancing, their kids are learning how to fight. Everybody's dancing here. You're right, you're right. It's not worth talking about. Go buy another drink. Right. What do you do? I'm a dance instructor. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm honest to God. I'm a dentist. I hate dentists. We're not bad guys. It's not easy, you know. There's, there's teeth and gums and blood. Oh my God. I, I have to get Luke just to walk into my office. Bartender, uh, we would like two more, please. Haven't you had enough? I want more than enough. 
<laughs> I found you got all this money for all these drinks. I saved my money. I haven't had a drink in a month. Oh, my God. Well, you see, my father died. So I stayed sober. One, one night at the hospital, he fell asleep. I was watching him. And then he just kept on sleeping. And I was all alone. That's terrible. Ah, listen. I was lucky to know him at all. Are you somebody's father? Yeah, I'm a drunk. Oh, yeah. I have a brother who moved to New Jersey. I'm getting married soon. Great. I don't love her. Oh, no. I don't love her. Well, no, make a scene. No, I'm sorry, but this, this is other girl. She steals ties. Uh-huh. And gives them to her father. She's funny. Uh-huh. Uh, I want her! I have to go. Now, no, 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 no. Sorry. <clears throat> Sir, your wedding is within less than five hours. Yeah, listen, listen. Go see your brother. Alright? Nobody should be alone. It's awful to be alone. All right, there's about 15 minutes left, so will Arthur go through the wedding with Susan and keep his fortune, or will he choose true love with Linda and be broke? Well, it's up to you to find out. I will say it's a great ending and not as predictable as you may think. Now, I will say, as great as the original Arthur is, avoid the sequel. It's absolutely awful. Arthur on the rocks. Ugh. And of course, there was no need for a remake with Russell Brand, who was the flavor of the month back in 2011 or the flavor of the year or whatever. So avoid that as well. Just stick with the classic original. All right, some fun facts. So Steve Gordon originally wrote the film thinking Arthur would be an American. And therefore, there were plenty of actors he had in mind. You had George Siegel, Al Pacino, Jack Nicholson, Richard Dreyfuss, James Caan, Sylvester Stallone, Robert Redford, John Travolta, Jeff Bridges, Charles Grodin, Burt Reynolds, Tom Selleck, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Bill Murray, Robin Williams, and John Belushi were all considered for the role. Interestingly enough, this is the second time Dudley Moore took a role after George Siegel turned a role down. Siegel was actually originally cast as the lead in 10. For Hobson, Al Guinness and David Niven were considered. John Gilgood actually turned down the role of Hobson several times, but he finally accepted it only because the salary he was offered was way too good to pass up. Now for Linda, Deborah Winger and Tuesday Weld turned down the role. While Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, Gilda Radner, Carrie Fisher, Mia Farrell, Farrah Fawcett, Barbara Hershey, Jessica Lang, Bette Miller, Susan Sarandon, Sybil Shepard, Kim Basinger, and Meryl Streep were all considered. In addition to winning Oscars for Best Supporting Actor for Gilgood and Best Original Song for Christopher Cross, the film was nominated for two other categories. Best Actor for Dudley Moore, who lost to Henry Fonda for On Golden Pond, and Best Screenplay, which lost to Chariots of Fire. Dudley Moore was said to have based his comedic performance partly on his ex-partner, Peter Cook, whose excessive drinking had soured his and Moore's comedic partnership in the 70s. Now, according to producer Charles Joffe, John Gilgood never really understood the jokes he was giving. According to Liza Minnelli, Gilgood kept turning to her and Dudley Moore and asking if what he just said was funny. 
After the movie came out, Gilgood wrote to journalist George Pitcher explaining that he was very bucked at the success of the movie. He was quoted as saying, I thought Liza was so very good and underestimated by the critics. He also added that Dudley screams too much at first, but gets better all through and is very charming and cooperative in the scenes with me. We also got on so wonderfully well together, despite that appalling heat. All right, so this is kind of a spoiler, uh, so keep that in mind, but it's too funny of a story not to tell. So after shooting the scene where Arthur gets beaten up by his would-be father-in-law, Dudley Moore was still wearing his tattered costume and his bloody makeup when he turned to his then-real-life girlfriend, Susan Anton, who was nearly eight and a half inches taller than him. They were at the Waldorf Astoria elevator and said, Susan, I told you I'd be home. Why wouldn't you believe me? <laughs> the other elevator passengers were aghast that she had beaten him up or something. All right, we have two special guests, both that really love this original movie. Uh, one, Eric Sinzak, who is a huge fan of Arthur. It's one of his favorite movies. And then Stephen Michael from the Grown Up Rock podcast also professes his enjoyment of this film from back in the day. So great guests as always. So enjoy them. And I'll be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Eric Sinzak, and we're going to talk about actually one of his favorite movies, and that's the original Arthur from 1981. Welcome back, Eric. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be back. So I think you were probably too young to see this in the theater, but can you remember the first time you saw it? I'm assuming it was either cable or video. Yeah, I think it was It was probably cable. Uh, you know, when you're a kid, movies you know, get put on, and, and probably what my mom thought was... <laughs> During the day, oh, it's a comedy. Uh, it's Dudley Moore. He's funny. Let's just put it on. No problem. <laughs> so. <laughs> and, of course, we watched it, and we laughed, and we laughed over and over again at just the funny little bits. Not, you know, drama goes over your head when you're a kid, but, you know, the comedy didn't. So we enjoyed it. So, I mean, looking at it now, I mean, it's, I mean part of it's kind of... I don't want to say sad, but it's like, you know, he's a drunk. So it's not necessarily a good thing. But when you're a kid, like those kind of nuances don't fit. Did you even take into account that he was basically drinking himself into a stupor all the time? Uh, no, not at all. No, <laughs> that was, you know, it's the silliness was there. The, mm -hmm. you know, and of course, the it, it was this, the sadness to the film was never. <laughs> it just never registered. And then watching it all as an old, you know, as an adult, you just look at it and you're like, Oh my God, there's such depth. And there's, there's so much sadness in this film. And you just don't get that when you're a kid. Right. Exactly. And so that, that's why I think it's always, um, it's always fun to watch films like that you loved as a kid and see how it holds up because you just have a totally different mindset. So kind of going back to that, is this the first Dudley Moore film you saw? And uh, did you seek out other films by him after Arthur? Yeah, it was the first one. Uh, I didn't watch 10 first. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, but <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. Uh, so yeah, this was the first one I saw and, um, and you know, it, it, it was pretty much the one I, I just saw over and over again until I got older. And then, you know, he, and then he was in, I, I, I guess I, I can't even remember what the next one I saw was, but he was, you know, I don't know. He, he really wasn't like an actor that I just sought out to, to watch. He just, he, he was just there sort of in, in other films and just, Oh, that's, there's nothing more. But Arthur to me just sort of is like this standout performance of his. Oh, absolutely. So while Dudley Moore definitely gets most of the praise for his performance, and rightfully so, I always thought the standout star in many ways is John Gilgood playing Hobson's. And I'm assuming you feel the same way. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And he is such a tremendously powerful actor and his history of stage and screen acting. It's like, how do you not just watch him in this film and be like in awe of him being on screen? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, he's got some of the best lines as well. Oh yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it putting, putting someone in their place is never so much fun to watch as watching John Gilgood do it in this film. <laughs> That's right. And, and I'm not, I've already mentioned it on uh, my portion of the podcast, but you know, he, he does pass away, which is also, you know, watching that as a kid, I don't, it, I, it, I don't think it even resonates as well, but it, today it's like sad. It's super sad because you don't want him to die. No, no. And I, I think even in the underlying tone of the film, you get it. Even any person, I think, you know, as kids, we got it. And, mm-hmm. but it was, it was one of those moments that you kind of just pass over and you go, okay, well right. that happened. And then you just move on. But you know, the, you do, you do see it later. And then you, you, you know, as your life experiences change, you know, that, that impact is much more powerful. Definitely. How did you like Liza, Liza Minnelli as uh, the <laughs> love interest? Easy for me to say. And uh, would you have picked someone else for that role? Or were you perfectly happy with, with her, her character and how she played her? Um, she has a definite sweetness and, and just sort of, a you know, this innocence. As far as casting someone else, I can't, you know, after seeing this for, you know, so many times over the years and the way the lines are delivered, I, I couldn't imagine anyone else playing that role. You know, there's there's other actresses that maybe could have done it. I mean, someone like Meryl Streep may have been able to to pull it off, you know, sort of this innocence. But she has sort of this every this everyday charm that probably would have resonated a little bit better with moviegoers and with people around, you know, that watch her just with her ability to connect with Dudley Moore and on screen just perfectly matches the their their chemistry just matches so well that i can't think of anyone else who could have done it as well as her as she does right so what are some of your favorite lines or your scene or scenes from the film and i'm assuming (laughs) arthur's theme is your favorite yacht rock song well yeah christopher cross i mean come on now that's (laughs) you just can't i mean you just have to think of you know the cab driving away and everything absolutely but i mean you know the other limo driving away but um just the scenes that that always just the lines that stood and this is really strange this is and the one that me and my brother always bounced off with each other was we was we would imitate richard hamilton the guy who played bill in the bar right. we would always say oh my god we would always say that when he's <laughs> pouring his heart out to, to him at the bar and I, and I had to look up i had to look him up i don't know why i did this it's just, i started questioning okay i gotta find out about this guy do you know who he he actually played in Men in Black? He played the guy that Will Smith replaced. Oh, no way. That was him. Yeah. Wow. Richard Hamilton. He's actually been in Westerns. He's been in tons of films. He was a pretty big actor yeah. back in the 50s. So I, I was shocked at how many movies that guy was in. So anyway, Richard Hamilton, that's his Arthur moment. And, oh my God. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that was that, that's one of my favorite lines. So. That's something that's sorely missing in today's, I think, movies is those character actors that would be in every movie. And uh, even if they only had a couple of lines, they, they were always memorable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he was just sitting there just listening to Dudley Moore gush <laughs> and hearing all that. Um, but, yeah, that that was one of the, also, you know, space invaders. That's another <laughs> one, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> that really dates the film, of course. You know, of when he's course. walking out, and he sees that. You know, I always liked. Uh, you know, he was asking the the potential father-in-law, you know, about drinking, and he's saying nobody never drinks. And he's like, "That's great. You probably never under, run out of ice in your whole life." You know, <laughs> just stuff right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, when he's looking around the moose, he keeps coming back to the yes. moose. No, yes. This is a tough room. I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's it's such British humor, but it's an American movie because they're you know it, it's it's that nice balance. Oh yeah, he is such good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, when uh, Susan tells him um, it could take a real woman to get you to quit drinking, he says it'd have to take a really big woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is all stuff that like it just gets better and better with every viewing because there's so many quick one-liners. Yeah. Oh God. It, it was loaded with really good, sharp, fast comedy. It was such a good film and with the writing was so, so sharp, Yes. Know? but he delivered it so well, his voice actually, and his, his punch, his punch and his voice delivered it such and so well. I don't think anyone else could have done that. Well, and that's a key point. You could put it on the page, but ultimately it's the actor that really has to sell it and nobody could have sold it like Dudley Moore. No, no. So did you ever, see the i believe it was 1988 the sequel arthur two on the rocks <laughs> unfortunately yes uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> what were your takeaways from that it's boring uh yeah, yeah exactly it's, uh, it's really not enjoyable to watch and and it was like i think they really were going for the idea that well what would have happened you know if he had decided not to take the money mm-hmm. uh and let's see what that story plays out like but Ultimately, I don't think anyone really wanted to see that story. Exactly. You know, and it's not, it's nothing, you know, what would have happened if your dream didn't come true? Mm-hmm. You know, nobody cares. Nobody cares. That's not why we go to the movies for. We go to the movies to see our dreams come true. And and really, this is, this kind of sucks, the idea that, you, and and that's why it failed. That's why it wasn't good. And I, I, I remember watching that a few years later, you know, a little bit, I was a little bit older when that, you know, I saw it and I was thinking to myself, oh, this is stupid. And I just, (laughs) yeah, I I couldn't enjoy it. First time I saw it, I couldn't get through it. I was like, I tried again and I'm like, this is really bad. Like this, it should have bombed. Like as you, as you put it, there are sometimes it's better to just leave it alone. Let the, let the viewer have its own imagination of how things end up and, and why, why ruin it? And it, I wouldn't say it definitely doesn't ruin the original, but it does taint it. I mean, that's uh, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. And and I get what they're going for. I Mm -hmm. get it. It's sort of, they're wanting to have a redemption story, you know, in some way, but they went all about it all the wrong way, but it didn't need one. No. And there, not, there did okay. not need to be some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of redemption. There, there was no need for it. He did what he set out to do in the first film. I mean, he, he went through the whole process and he, he, you know, he sort of set his life to right. He wound up with the girl he should have wound up with, you know, mm-hmm. is, you know, I don't know what they were trying to prove in that film, like trying to set, you know, set him up for some kind of life lesson. He kind of did. He, the, the, the life lesson was there. Be true to yourself. That's really yeah. what it was about. And that was it. Yeah, so. exactly. And so lastly, I'll leave you with this. And I'm guessing you didn't, but who knows? Did you ever see the remake with Russell Brand from 2000? I knew you were going to ask me about that. <laughs> I had to. I had to. <laughs> uh, I was... I actually saw that it had come out okay. and I was like, oh, I got to get around to watching that. And then I started looking at some of the reviews <laughs> and I was like, I probably not going to get around to watching. That. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. What did you think of? I, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. I mean, I've done that. That's the same thing. I've never seen the remake to The Karate Kid. Uh, I've never seen the remake to Footloose. It's just like I, I've already experienced the originals. There's no reason to remake these particular movies. And especially Arthur. I don't care who yeah. you get. It's not going to be better than Dudley Moore. I, I don't uh, even care if you update it. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I have really not much interest in seeing it. And right. after I, I, I was kind of interested in to see what kind of a take they would do on it. And then I was just like, nah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly how but, often do you go back to the original like do you watch it once a year or what's it like uh it's been it's been a few years um but i, I you know if it if it's on i'll certainly watch it and if i if it, if i see it like roll through like on a queue like on prime or something i'll i'll, I'll pop it in you know i'll turn it on well as always thank you so much for doing this eric and uh, i know you're going to be back on at, at some point and uh, thank you for taking the time to talk about one of your favorite movies oh thanks brian a lot of fun appreciate it all right, we're back with Stephen Michael from the Grown Up Rock podcast, and he's going to discuss uh, an early 80s classic, and that's Arthur. And so cue the Yacht Rock, cue the Christopher Cross. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, Brian Davis. Listen, before we get too deep in the sticks with this, I got to know, and this is an important question, so just bear with me here and listen. <laughs> Have you ever been caught between the moon and New York City? I need to know. <laughs> Well, you need to sing it, Stephen. That's it. that's how it. <laughs> then I might have been in uh, in my headphones. Yes, in real life, no. Listen, it's crazy, but you got to do the best you can with it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, yes. Do the best you can. <laughs> are you a Are you a fan of yacht rock and uh, specifically? I, absolutely, Cross? I absolutely love yacht rock. Yes, uh, I won't call it a guilty pleasure because I don't feel guilty about it at all. But yeah, I really, really like yacht rock. And uh, Christopher Cross, I like the hits. I don't know mm -hmm. much, much other than the hits from him, but the hits are, I mean, they're classic. Come on. They are. And, uh, you know, you and I growing up in the 80s and, and here in, you know, late 70s and hearing, you know, top 40 radio, this stuff was all around. Yeah. And we have uh, here in Atlanta, uh, have you ever heard of that? The, there's a lot of different named bands out there, but I think that the original band uh, we have a Yacht Rock review here mm. in Atlanta that was like one of the first original cover bands to do this. And they literally, they play around here. They play they play nationally, but they play around here and they'll sell out like a 5,000 seater. They have a deal with uh, Live Nation and everything. Oh, wow. They'll, they'll, they'll do like, they do Christmas shows and they do, uh, they do shows where they'll just cover one album from front to back like uh steely dan or prince purple rain or mm. something like that they're they're really great players it's a it's like literally it's a uh i don't know a 10-piece band and horn section and all this stuff and the the two singers that front the band they'll uh wear like sailor hats and <laughs> all their fans come dressed in sailor hats and things like that it's it's really good I'm sure you guys have talked about this on, on your podcast. We're going down the rabbit hole a little bit with music, but this is fun. Uh, you know, it's those tribute bands, those cover bands. I think they're kind of the future of, of, of music now. People love the nostalgia. And these are all really great musicians. So I, I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I, I feel bad for up and coming new bands because they can't compete with something like this. 
Yeah, it is unfortunate, but yeah, I agree with you. And and maybe uh, somewhere off into the future, Grown Up Rock will do a cover where we talk about kind of that that mindset of is it really the future? Because there are bands out there with names that are, uh, you know, they don't contain any original members and mm-hmm. things like that. But if you can pay to see. You know, if you can pay a lesser price and go to see a band that sounds as good, if not better than the original, then sometimes that's the way it got to go. And, you know, people don't live forever. So what yeah, are you going to no, do? Absolutely. And that's why these bands come in and just kind of fill those gaps, you know? Yep. Uh, so, OK, we'll get right into Arthur. Um, were, you, were you in high school when this came out? I was. Yeah. I, oh. uh, 80, 81, I would have been a uh, freshman. Okay, so you're just going into high school. You know, was this the type of film that you would have seen in the theater? Or did you catch it on TV? And I know we kind of talked before we started recording. So this this, this movie you kind of shared with someone. Yeah, no, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I honestly can't remember back mm-hmm. in '81 where I would have seen this, whether I would have seen this at a theater or not. So uh, I don't know. Okay, so when when you uh, first saw this, did you were you immediately into it, or was it something that it was more of kind of a bond because of another reason? No, I enjoyed this movie from the get go. Uh, <laughs> I just I just think that this movie offers everything. I mean, it offers comedy, it offers seriousness, it offers uh, love, it offers just everything. I mean, there's uh, this is a movie that to me makes you laugh and cry, which is I mean, that's a great movie that can do that, right? Definitely, definitely. And it's um, it's interesting because there are certain things you didn't expect were going to happen in this. And it does actually get kind of serious in a very – when it begins, it's not serious at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. It's, it's a movie that uh, if you watch it today, uh, I think you get a lot more out of it than, say, I would have gotten as a freshman, right? Mm-hmm. A, a 16-year-old or 15-year-old kid in high school, uh, you know, you just don't get the same out of it as you do as an adult. And I think it's a, a movie that even today uh, lives up to, you know, it, it holds up well in today's society and it makes you think and uh, that's it just has all the markings of a great movie, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's funny because it's one of those interesting comedies where the protagonist is a lovable screw up. And I don't want to say his alcohol alcoholism is glamorized, but it's kind of part of his charm. So were were you uh, ever much of a like a drinker when you were younger? And, and if you have one, what's your funniest, stupidest uh, drunk story? Hot <laughs> <laughs> uh, here. Yeah, so uh, I wasn't much of a drinker outside of, uh, you know, like all high school kids, right? You you go to a beer party that's not supposed to have beer and you get hammered, right? right? And uh, I don't I don't have a ton of, uh, well, no, I do have a ton of stories, but we don't have time to share a ton <laughs> of stories. I'll give you one story in particular, and this was... Uh, somewhere in high school, probably uh, sophomore or junior year of high school. Okay. Uh, I used to spend the night at a friend's house uh, who lived fairly nearby, and he had a car, and I didn't have a car, and so we would hang out at the mall on uh, Friday nights and, uh, you know, Blair Van Halen while you're circling the mall looking for <laughs> girls and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And 
his parents were uh, older church-going parents, uh, and so uh, we ended up uh, going back to his house, parking the car, and then there was like a quick trip. It wasn't a quick trip. It was whatever convenience store that was uh, close to his house within walking distance, and we walked up there. We had fake IDs, and we bought uh, two bottles of grape Mad Dog 2020. You know what that is? <laughs> well, I do, I've always heard of Mad Dog 2020. I didn't know it was ever in grape. Yeah, it was grape. <laughs> it, like a Concord grape. Remember okay. that? Okay. So, you know, Mad Dog 2020 to people who aren't aware, it's the equivalent of Night Train <laughs> or uh, of Ripple. It's just right. a super cheap wine. Like That's right. super cheap. Like uh, it's almost a cook. I don't even know if it's cooking wine quality. <laughs> but anyway, we got a couple rock, of bottles. It's rock gut. It's rock gut. It's, yeah. We got a couple bottles of that. And we got, uh, it was myself and the <laughs> guy I was staying with, him and then another friend of ours. So there were three of us. Okay. Uh, staying at his uh, his house that night, sleeping over. And he had uh, a king-size waterbed at the time, which this is a big deal, uh, having a waterbed uh, at that yeah. time, right? 82, mm-hmm. 83, somewhere in around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got hammered, and uh, this friend of mine, uh, he fell over in the bushes and right about the time he fell over in the bushes, uh, my buddy's dad came pulling up (laughs) in a t-shirt and his boxer shorts because (laughs) he didn't know where we were, picked us up, figured out that we were hammered, took us back to the house, uh, and you know, just basically gave us the parent thing. Right. And, uh, and, (laughs) put us in the room and this other buddy of mine, uh, lost it and, (laughs) and, (laughs) and basically just puked all over (laughs) us, all over the room, all over the waterbed. It was, yeah, it was ugly. And needless to say, the next morning was, uh, uncomfortable at best. So it was exorcist like projectile type, uh, type deal. Basically. Yeah. Nice. So really, you, you, that that dad was kind of like Hobson to Arthur. <laughs> you know, he'd come uh, he, pick him up and yeah. Yeah, basically, uh, um, <laughs> with less money. <laughs> I give with less money, man. It's so funny thinking of waterbeds. Like it's see, that was such a thing, especially in the '80s, and now yeah. it's like nobody has waterbeds anymore. Yeah, and I never owned one, but uh, oddly enough, I had two or three friends that over the years did have them. Yeah, I, I I had a buddy too. It was just it's so weird. It it's so weird to to be on one, but I guess you get used to it. <laughs> I guess. Uh, was this the first Dudley Moore film you saw? And then after this, did you go back and check out his other films? Um, did this come before or after ten? After ten. So ten was seventy nine. Uh, so I saw ten before I saw this one. Okay. Yeah, which is a. Uh, Similar, but kind of different. I mean, it had more of a kind of a playful sex comedy to it where this was uh, pure comedy. Yeah. And, and for for me, uh, 15, 14, 15 year old kid, it was all about Bo Derek. Absolutely. I mean, that yeah. was that was the one primary goal. It, it could have been it could have had nobody else in that movie. And I wouldn't <laughs> have known the difference. The, the only reason people know about Bo Derek is for that movie, that, that those beach scenes. Exactly. 
Yeah, but as you get older, we're kind of talking about Ted now, but Julie Andrews was very attractive, but it's like, how do you compete with Bo Derek at that point? Oh, she was. And and how about uh, Jill Eikenberry in Arthur? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so as great as Dudley Moore is, and he really is, it's John Gilgood as Hobson that really does steal the show in this. What were some of your favorite lines or scenes that you can remember with Hobson? And, you know, I've already mentioned this in my part. You know, I, it was kind of shocking that he actually died. You didn't think he was actually going to die in the film. So were you surprised by that at the time? No, but uh, again, it went a long way to adding the um, different dimensions to this movie, right? If you mm -hmm. take that out, it doesn't have quite as many dimensions, and his death really does tie together everything. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it needed to happen, just kind of stripping this movie down. And yeah, as much as he stole the show and he was a great part of this movie, there were so many great character uh, actors in this movie as a whole and a lot of one-liners. It's hard to remember everything. Some of the best scenes for me uh, with Hobson is, uh, well, the one, <laughs> the one where, where uh, he, he, what does he say? He says, uh, I live to serve you or something like right. that. Or would you, would you like me to draw your, your bath and wash your dick? You know, right. That, <laughs> exactly. That kind of stuff. He was just very, he was very proper, but also very dry and very yes. just witty and quick. And, uh, he had it all. I mean, he was, uh, and knowing his background of just such a skilled, uh, and awarded actor to be in this kind of role. It's just, a, it's amazing, you know? Oh, definitely. Definitely. He deserved, you know, all the accolades he received from this film. How did yeah. you, speaking of other characters, how, how did you feel about Liza Minnelli as, as the main love interest? You know, I was trying to think back on this and, and, you know, I knew who Liza Minnelli was, but at the same time, she's not really of my generation or anything that, that no. I could tie. I don't, uh, had she done anything before this? I think her main one was Cabaret. Like, and that was in the early seventies. That, that still is probably her most prominent role. Which is something that I didn't, I, I haven't seen and never, you know, I didn't see it. So I didn't know it. Right. Um, so for me, it was kind of new to me, but obviously my mom, you know, knew of her and said, yeah, hey, this is um, uh, Judy Garland's daughter, that right. kind of thing, all this stuff. So I knew the history there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it worked. It's hard to see anybody else in that role. And she's another one that just is so... Um, uh, sarcastic and dry with her delivery that it just, it works, you know? Mm -hmm. Now you had mentioned before we, we, uh, started recording, you had mentioned you had a nice bond with your mom over this film. Um, so what, do you remember what, why she really enjoyed this film more than say another comedy that would have been popular at the time? Well, I think so just to kind of put this in perspective, there's a, my mom had me at a really, uh, late age, for mm -hmm. her, for, for any woman, really. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a big gap generation-wise between my mom and the average child, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. um, and so there wasn't a whole lot that my mom and I could connect on from a perspective of music or movies or any of that kind of stuff. 
but I remember us watching this movie together. And I think one of the things that one of the reasons she appreciated this movie is because there's really nothing to hate on with this movie. It's not over the top. It's not disgusting. It has uh, laughter. It has love. It has, um, you know, the dramas of life, so to speak. And <clears throat> it had all of that. And I'm sure she was familiar with uh, not only Liza Minnelli, but um, Dudley Moore and uh, uh, Sir John Gielgud. She was mm-hmm. probably familiar with all those actors and could connect to them from other bodies of work that they had done previous to this movie, right? Sure, sure. Now, uh, <laughs> there was a sequel that came out in 1988 called Arthur on the Rocks. Did you um, subject yourself to the sequel? Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, uh, you're talking about Arthur too, correct? Yes. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, I haven't seen either one of these in ages, but my recollection about Arthur two is that I didn't, it didn't live up to the first one, but I also didn't think that it was that bad. Oh, really? At least, okay. that, at least that's my recollection. Now I may go watch it today and go, oh my God, it's awful. <laughs> uh, but I think where I think where sequels like that really, really super fail is it was there's a big gap in between the first one and the second one, right? Exactly. Seven years. Yeah. So there's a huge gap. I think that's one of the things that causes movies like that to fail. And I also remember it not being even a fraction as bad as like Caddyshack too. I was about to say <laughs> there's a, well, I, I, I hate it. I couldn't even, I couldn't even get through it because some of the, you know, he, he basically loses his, his money again. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, nobody wants to see Arthur like that. So. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it did have Dudley Moore, which it did. I mean, and Liza Minnelli. Yep. Yeah. So I think that that's a big bonus. That's why I didn't think it was overly, overly bad. Yes. They just kind of tried to repeat the same thing, but I mean, really, what are you going to do with that? You're going to take it in a different direction. People want to see Arthur, uh, drunk, right? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Um, and then we have to talk about it. Did you see the remake with Russell Brand? I did see the remake with Russell Brand and it was awful. Now I feel yeah. a lot I feel what you described with Arthur too, I feel a lot about the remake with Russell Brand. I just okay. I just don't I didn't think it was good at all. It didn't have uh a lot of the qualities, at least none of those qualities stuck with me. Uh you know, like the first one and, uh, I don't know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it like a 29% or something. Uh, so that says it all, you know? Well, yeah. And, um, you know, how, how do you replace Dudley Moore? You can't Dudley Moore was made for this role and as hot as Russell Brand was at the time, it's not the same and, and, uh, and it's not going to live up to it. And why would you replace something where you can just go back and see the original? There's no need to, to try to revamp this in any way. Yeah, I agree. And and look, I I like Russell Brand and some of the stuff he does. It's not mm-hmm. like I I'm uh I have uh hatred for Russell Brand. I do like uh some of the movies that he's put out. He's good uh in a particular type of thing, but mm-hmm. uh and on paper it seems like maybe he would have been good at this, but it just didn't connect with me the same way the original did. Right. They would have been better off just doing an original film with him. Yep. Well, as always, Stephen, thank you so much. And uh, check out the Grown Up Rock podcast, of course. 
Brian Davis, thanks as always for having me. And now go drink a bunch of bourbon and walk around New York, would you? With, with my yachting hat on. Exactly. <laughs> thanks again. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.